welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so grateful that you guys are here. Whether you're joining us in person or you're watching online, our hope and prayer is that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. I just want to reiterate what Pastor Jeff just talked about, this love and action. You have one of these at your chair, or you can, uh, uh, there was a QR code up earlier, or if you're watching online, you, there's a link right there. Um, and we're trying to raise 120000 to give it all away. As a church, we've been able to give away over $750,000 since we started, uh, and it's because of things like this. Um, and uh, as Pastor Jeff mentioned, we, we support local organizations. We help with benevolence, with mental health needs. We uh, give to missionaries, to church plants. In fact, two church plants I want to highlight. One we helped start uh, four years ago up in Green Valley Ranch, and, um, and they, because of COVID, they couldn't meet in person, um, uh, and they didn't have a, a space or anything like that. They couldn't meet in person for the last year and a half. Uh, last Sunday, uh, with us and some other churches, we helped them get into a building for the first time, and they were able to meet. I, I texted uh, the pastor afterwards. His name is Michael, and I said, hey, man, how was it? Did you cry? And he was like, yes, I did cry, because uh, there's just something, like, man, amazing about hearing people sing and worship our God. And uh, that's because of your generosity. And then one of our churches, uh, we had a church plant resident here about a year ago. His name was Justin. Uh, and Justin is starting the local church in Arvada. And they had their uh, pre first preview service last Sunday. And it was incredible. Some of you guys actually went to it. Uh, but uh, because of your generosity, we've been able to help the local church in a powerful way. And uh, they officially launched in a couple months. Uh, and I'm just, man, so thankful for you guys. Uh, church planning is the number one way to reach people who are spiritually disconnected. Uh, and so your willingness to give allows us to not only help with mental health here in our town, uh, benevolence needs, missionaries, but also church plants as well. Uh, up to this point, the goal is 120. We've raised just under 47,000, which is awesome. We got a little ways to go because we only got two weeks left. Uh, so be praying about um, uh, what God may want you to do. You know, one of the cool things about this year is that 100% um, of what you give, 100% uh, of your income uh, can be deducted, which is crazy. We've never had that uh, in the history of uh, uh, taxes and all that stuff. So uh, there's a really huge benefit in giving right now. So, um, man, just ask God, hey, what do you want to do and how do you want to use me? And let's see what God wants to do through each one of us. Today we're uh, finishing up a series called Relational Vampires. What do vampires do? They suck the blood out of you. They suck the life out of you. What do relational vampires do? There are people in your life who suck the life out of you. We all have relational vampires in our lives. Uh, the first week we looked at controlling people. Then we looked at needy people. Last week we looked at hypocritical people. If you have any of those people in your life and you weren't here for one of those messages, go to our website, frontrange.org, or our app, and you can get any of those messages uh, on demand. Uh, today we're going to look at uh, probably the number one group of people that we have in our lives, and that is critical people. Uh, before we start, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we come before you, and uh, I just thank you. I thank you, God, that you are God who knows us and sees us. God, you know exactly what each one of us is going through right now. And Father, just the conversations that I've had this morning and over the last week with individuals, there's so many of us, God, that are struggling. There's some of us in here that are struggling with mental health and thoughts of suicide. There's some of us who have just recently lost friends or family members to different things, God. And I just pray, Father, that whatever we're going through, that you would meet us right where we are. 
that God, you would show up. Father, it's, it's great to be able to sing and it's great to be able to hear from your word and all of that, but if you don't show up, God, it, today was meaningless. So we need you to show up in a powerful way. Meet us where we are, God. Speak to us what you know we need. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, by show of hands, how many of you would say you know somebody in your life who has the spiritual gift of criticism? Anybody know? Yeah, yeah. So most of us, you're like, that was a spiritual gift? Not really, but whatever. Um, if you're sitting next to someone and you've already told them the five things you think need to change about our church, you might have that spiritual gift of criticism. We all know people who are critical. We all know people who say things and do things with kind of a critical spirit. Maybe it's your boss or maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a friend. But we all have people in our lives that, that critique what we do, what we say, even how we think, all that. I've got those people in my life. I've got people who are critical of me, critical of our church. Ernest, you use the wrong translation. Your, your clothes are too tight. Your clothes aren't cool enough. The music's too loud. The music's too soft. The church is too big. The church is too small. And Ernest, what in the world are you doing with your hair? I mean, I've gotten it all. I've gotten it all. And so uh, and we all have critical people in our lives. And some of us, let's just be real honest, we have a bent toward criticism. For some of us, we find ourselves a little bit more critical than others. We kind of live by the, the, the words of the great theologian, Jack Handy, who said this, before you criticize someone, walk a mile in their shoes. Sounds like great advice. He continues. That way you'll be a mile from them and you'll have their shoes. So some of you... It's kind of the advice that, that you live by. Uh, others of us, we wonder, man, why are people so critical of us? Why are they always attacking me? Why do they always seem to be pointing out things in my life? And Aristotle said this. He said, to avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. Now, I'm not going to criticize that quote, or I don't want to, but if you do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing, then you're going to be criticized for being a lazy bum. Right, so it, but the, the principle is true. He's saying if you're breathing, if you're alive, check, check right now, you're, you're breathing, then you're going to be criticized. It's just a fact of life. But for some of us, that criticism is wreaking havoc in some of our relationships. For some of us, we have a, a parent who's incredibly critical of everything that we do. And they may mean well, they love us and all that, and you can even get outside of their home and they still are going to judge you and tell you what you need to do differently. For some of us, we're being really critical in our marriage. And our spouse is feeling that. For others of us, we have critical coworkers and we walk in to our workspace and man, we, it's really hard to find joy. It's really hard to find you know, a little bit of hope for where we work because there's people around us that are so critical. For others of us, we struggle with being more critical toward one child than another child. For many of us, criticism is wreaking havoc in our lives. And for some of us, we're going into this Thanksgiving week dreading the Thanksgiving table because we have to be around certain people that we don't want to be around or that impact us or that are going to say something about us or to us, and we're dreading that. So how do you respond to critical people? I mean, how do you love and respond well to those who constantly seem to come at you about different, different things? Let me give you four things. How do you respond to critical people? Num number one, sometimes you don't respond. Sometimes you don't respond. 
Uh, this isn't easy for me. This isn't my natural bent. My natural bent is if somebody comes after me, somebody says something negative to me, I want to go 12 rounds with them. Uh, I want to introduce them to Jesus real fast. Uh, you know, that's my natural tendency is to get very defensive and aggressive with that individual. But there's so many times where people are critical of something and you just got to go, man, it's not worth it. It's not even worth a response to that person. I love what this passage says in Proverbs uh, chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, man, and, and you need one, we'd love to get you one. If you go to our, our uh, connections tent right outside as you're heading toward your car, uh, we have Bibles there. Or if you download the Bible app, it's a great resource. Proverbs 19, uh, verse 11, it says this, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. A person's wisdom yields patience. What does that mean? Well, that term uh, wisdom yields patience literally means to defer one's anger. What is the person angry about? They're, they're angry about somebody saying something, doing something, being critical to them. They've offended them in some way. And it's saying that wisdom is to defer your anger. Then it continues and it says it's one's glory. It's your bragging rights. It's what you can be proud of is to overlook an offense, to pass over an offense. It doesn't say that, that you always forget it. It doesn't say that the person doesn't deserve consequences. But it says that as a human being, and especially those of us who are followers of Christ, that we are called to live at a higher level. Like we're not called to, to stoop to that level of somebody else that's being critical in nature. We're to rise above that. Like the Holy Spirit fills us up. And instead of stooping down to the level of the world and of people around us, we're to rise above it and go, no, I'm going to pass over that. I'm going to look past that. So how do you respond to critical people? Sometimes you don't respond. Now, for the next two, I'm going to invite up a buddy of mine. And uh, I'm inviting him up because, uh, one, he's got a gift to, to communicate. But two, uh, he's walked through criticism in his life. And I've seen, him, uh, I've seen how he's responded well to some of that criticism. Uh, and then also, he, he's the guy that um, inspires my hair. So do me a favor. Welcome up Tommy Jones to the stage. Does it look all right? <laughs> it's looking way better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. Well, uh, when Ernest first asked me to join him for this message and he told me the topic, I thought, is he wanting, is he going to use me as the example of the critical person? Is that, is that what's going on here? And so just to, just to be that kind of person, I went ahead and made a list of about 83 things that Ernest needs to change as the pastor of Front Range. Uh, but then it turns out that's not what we're doing here, so maybe, maybe we'll get to that some other time. Um, anyhow, if, if sometimes you don't respond to criticism, there are other times where you have to respond carefully. There are other times where you have to respond carefully. There are situations when not responding is not an option, like somebody wanting to read you a list in public in front of the entire church. Uh, criticism that maybe challenges a position you've been placed in, some sort of authority that you've been given by God, whether at work or at home or in the community, or maybe that criticism is uh, happening in front of others, it's happening in public. Um, sometimes those type of situations, it demands that we respond carefully. And we have a good example of that in Judges. In chapter 8, we pick up the story of Gideon. Uh, if you don't know the story of Gideon or you haven't read it in a while, it's a really great story. Most of it is in Judges 6 and 7. 
And God uses Gideon and about 300 Israelites just to completely defeat their biggest, largest, scariest enemy, the Midianites. Also, that's just fun to say. If you get into it, you want to say Midianites a whole bunch. Um, you can read that story in Judges 6 and 7. But in chapter 8, we pick up where Gideon and his army, they are chasing after the enemy. They are chasing the Midianites. They have just, the Midianites have just fled. They're not just retreating. They are running as fast as they can, scattering. Um, and Gideon, and they are chasing them down. The route is on. And Gideon actually sends a message ahead uh, to some of his other uh, friends to another tribe of Israel, the Ephraimites, which is even more fun to try to say out loud. But the men of Ephraim, he sends a message and he says, hey, the Midianites are headed your way. And if you'll just set up a trap, we can really wreak havoc on them. And so that's what happens. The men of Ephraim are waiting for the Midianites at the Jordan River. And in fact, they have an incredible victory. They don't just cause further damage. They capture two of the princes of Midian. And so we pick up in chapter 8 where the, the Ephraimites and Gideon, they're getting ready to meet. And we're going to hear all of the great things that the men of Ephraim want to say about Gideon. They're going to be so excited and they're going to... No, that's not what happens at all. Look at what happens in Judges 8. It says, The men of Ephraim say to him, to Gideon, Why have you done this to us? Not calling us when you went to fight against the Midianites. And they argued with him violently. They're mad. They feel left out. They think Gideon should have done something different. Here he is. He's been uh, given this authority by God. He's been doing exactly what God wants him to do. They've been seeing an incredible victory, and yet still criticism is coming at Gideon. Now maybe you guys, I think all of us probably in some way can relate to that. Maybe you're a business owner, you try to run your business the way you think God wants you to, but still there's criticism. Maybe you're a parent, trying to parent the way God wants you to, and there's still criticism. Maybe you're a teacher and you have to deal with those parents who think they're doing such a great job, and you have to deal with their criticism. Uh, but there are areas in our lives where we deal with that, where we feel like we're doing what God wants us to do, and we're seeing the fruit of it, and yet still there's criticism. And so Gideon, in this situation, he responds carefully. Look at what he says in, chapter, in verses 2 and 3. He said to them, What have I now done compared to you? Is not the gleaning of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiezer? Now, I don't know what that means. <clears throat> I have very little context for growing grapes. I don't know what it means, but it's in the Bible, so that part must be true. It says, God handed over to you Oreb and Zeb, the two princes of Midian. What was I able to do compared to you? And when he said this, their anger against him subsided. So Gideon's responding carefully. What did he actually do? What can we see? Well, a couple of things he didn't do that I think are real important. He didn't apologize, right, because he knew he was doing what God wanted him to do. So he didn't say, oh, I'm so sorry. I should have done that differently. No. He didn't do that. He didn't make excuses. What, you didn't get the message? I sent one earlier. It's a, it was a pigeon with it tied around the neck. You didn't, it didn't get there in time? No, he didn't do that. And he also didn't respond to them in like manner. He didn't respond violently back and argue with them. 
But instead, he just answered calmly and confidently. He tried to diffuse the situation. Right? He said, look, look what you guys did. Look at the role you played. You were an important part of what's going on here. And then he really tried to get them included in the work. There was still stuff to do. They had more battles to fight. And from this point on, Ephraim went with him. So it worked out well. And so we can learn from that, right? We can see that. Listen, if I know that I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I know that this criticism is a threat to that, it's a threat to what God is doing, then I need to respond carefully. And I can be confident. And we can try to diffuse the situation. We don't have to escalate it. Hopefully, maybe the critic, they'll change and they'll come with us. But maybe not. I don't know. That's up to them, not us. But we're going to keep going forward. We're going to respond carefully and then keep doing the thing that God has called us to do. To respond well in the face of criticism. To respond carefully. Now, so far we've seen how to respond to negative criticism. Right? We've looked at sometimes you don't respond other times you respond carefully, but not all criticism is negative. And so at times, you have to listen and you have to make a change. Honestly, that's the most difficult one. We don't want to do that at all. No one likes to be criticized. We default just to to getting defensive, to getting our feelings hurt. But not all criticism is bad. Not all criticism is wrong. Some criticism can be helpful. Let me give you an example. Um, when I was 18, I went off to college. Um, and I, just didn't, I didn't just go off to college. I went a good nine, ten hours away to a different state, a whole different place. And I got there, and man, I just started living my best life. I mean, I was eating whatever I wanted to eat, whenever I wanted to, going to sleep whenever I wanted to go to sleep, going to class when I felt like going to class, And I was just having a great time. It was going wonderful, as far as I could tell, until about the middle of October when my phone rang. And I pick up the phone, and on the other end of the line is my dad. And in a very stern, a very measured, but a very firm tone, he suggested, put it that way, he suggested that perhaps it would be a good idea if, after this conversation, I picked up the phone and called my mom, who I had not spoken to since August, so a good two months. I had just not spoken to her at all. I decided that I didn't really need those relationships anymore. And so that, that was really good advice, right? That was helpful advice for me to know how to deal with my relationships. That was helpful criticism, right? You should be doing something different. You should be doing better. Proverbs 15 shows us how to respond to that type of criticism. In Proverbs 15, in verses 31 and 32, this is what it says. It says, One who listens to life-giving rebukes will be at home among the wise. Anyone who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever listens to correction acquires good since this is what my father was doing for me i needed some life-giving rebukes in that moment because i was not doing a very good job in my relationship as a son 
right? Criticism can be life-giving, especially when it's someone who we trust as wise. My dad was trying to help me in that. Criticism can also bring discipline. Now, not the kind of discipline where um, they're trying to control your behavior, but more the type of discipline where the person in the criticism is trying to help you with your self-discipline, right? What are your choices? Are they good or are they bad? And if it's a bad choice, I'm going to challenge your bad decision. You should talk to your mom on the phone. That was a challenge. And the point here is that if we don't answer that type of criticism, what we're actually doing is just hurting ourselves. We're despising ourselves. And Proverbs, the scripture tells us, don't despise yourself just to spite the critic. The last thing is that criticism can lead to correction. The idea behind helpful criticism is that you will need less criticism in the future. Right? Scripture says that you'll acquire good sense. In the last year or so, I've gone through the process of teaching a teenager to drive. Anyone else had to teach a teenager to drive recently? Yeah, yeah. It's a miracle we're here, isn't it? Let's be honest, right? It's a harrowing, frightening experience, but we made it. Congratulations. Uh, at first, as I was teaching my teenager to drive, I had to be right there in that seat. Right? I had to be right next to him with almost constant criticism. No, no, it's the other pedal. That's the brake. That's the accelerator. No, you've got to use the other one. Use the brake. Please use the brake. Uh, no. That's neutral. You got it in neutral. No matter how hard you press, it's not going anywhere. Let's put it in reverse. Careful. Here we go. All right? But, but as we logged those hours, painstaking as it was, my criticism diminished. Right? I needed less and less instruction, less and less criticism as Caroline learned and listened and grew. And now I, she's a pretty good driver. In fact, I was in the car with her yesterday, and for the most part, I could just sit there quietly, and when I started to give criticism, that was really more about me than it was about her. Right? She was doing fine. I just couldn't help myself. I had to criticize something. I'm her dad. That's how it goes, right? Now, so how do you handle criticism from people who are trying to help? Well, if you ignore it, like Proverbs says, if we ignore it, you're going to end up with a car that has a bumper tied on with string and a brake light that's red duct tape, right? But if you listen and you learn, you acquire good sense, you grow, and eventually you need less and less of that criticism. Even if it comes sometimes and the critic can't help themselves, you need it less and less. But in order to know that difference, in order to know the difference between helpful and bad, and bad criticism, in order to know how to respond, in order to navigate all those relationships, we need to do one more thing, and I'm going to give it back to Ernest for that. Thanks, Tommy. Tommy. Now, 50% uh, of us guys are going to have to go call our moms right after this. Appreciate that one. Also, I love that his uh, daughter was sitting on the front row last service. She's like, what, what? <laughs> oh, hey, so sometimes uh, you don't respond to criticism. You just rise above it. Uh, there's other times you got to respond carefully. There's at times you got to listen and, and make a change. And then lastly, all the time, guard, guard your heart. 
all the time, guard your heart. Why all the time guard your heart? Because every single one of us, as much as it, it's way easier for us to point the finger, it's way easier for us to say, hey, look what you're doing. Hey, look how critical you're being and all of that. All of us have the tendency to be critical. All of us have the tendency to live with a critical spirit in our lives to those around us. I love this passage in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. It says this, uh, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Verse 13, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I love this passage and I don't like it. I love it because there's so much truth there. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly the way we should be. I don't like it because it's really convicting. Because it's really convicting. It's saying that in your life, you don't want to have a critical spirit because a critical spirit is not from God. A critical spirit is not of God. Where, where does a critical spirit come from? It comes from Satan. In fact, the Bible says that he's the father of lies, that he's the accuser of the brethren. And so when we participate in constant criticism, when we participate in a, in a, a critical spirit, then we're not aligning ourselves to God, we're aligning ourselves to Satan. And I don't want to be like Satan. I don't want to be critical like him. And so how do we guard our hearts? Sure, there are times where you've got to speak truth and love. There are times where you've got to say, hey, here's something you need to change and all of that. I had a guy after last service, a 20-year-old, come up to me. He goes, hey, can you help me discern the difference between telling somebody that they need to change something and then being too critical? It's just a great conversation. But at the end of the day, it's, you've got to go back to Scripture and, the, and, and prayer. Hey, God, is this what you're wanting me to say? And if so, how often am I supposed to say it? For how long, especially if they're not choosing to respond? But for most of us, it's not that is the issue. For most of us, it's having this critical nature about ourselves. And it's real easy to walk into a place or to think about somebody or to enter into a conversation with someone where it's real quick for us to be critical. So how do you guard your heart from criticism, from being that critical person? Well, I've got to do a few things. Number one, I've got to acknowledge uh, what I become most critical about. There are certain subjects I don't really care a whole lot about, so I'm not super critical of. There's other subjects that, man, I can be very critical of. And usually those subjects are based on either my insecurities or my pride. Either I don't feel like I'm very good in a particular area, so it's real easy for me to, 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 to take the focus off of me and put it onto you and your issues, or I feel like I'm doing really well in an area, so then I should tell everybody else how to do that area. I, for, for me, one of those areas is, is church. I can walk into any church and, and within five minutes give like 20 different things for that church to change. Why? Because I'm pretty insecure. Like I, I constantly battle, like, am I leading our church well? Am I the right guy? Am I doing the right job? And all that, and because I battle with that, it's real easy for me to look at somebody else and go, man, instead of me dealing with that stuff, instead of me changing, I'm just gonna point the finger at other people. Or in pride. Like my wife and I, we have, a, we have a pretty good marriage. We struggle just like everybody, but it's a pretty good marriage. And so it's real easy for me to go, why don't they have a good marriage? Why don't they have a good marriage? Let me give them advice. Let me tell them how to have a better marriage. Why? Because of my pride. So if I do okay in an area or if, I, if I'm really insecure about an area, it's real easy for me to pick that area apart and become a critic. 
So you've got you to identify. You're not going to be critical about everything, but there are certain things that you're going to be critical of. Then I've got to remember who I'm called to be. We talked about this in the very first message of, of this series, that if you're a follower of Christ, then you are in God's family. You are a son or daughter of God. That's who you're called to be. We're not called to stoop down to the level of the world. We're not called to, to be like the enemy and what he chooses to do in destroying people. We're called to rise above that. And as a son or a daughter of God, I'm called to follow God in his footsteps. I'm called to be light in the midst of darkness, not contribute to the darkness. And so I got to remember who I'm called to be. And then the last thing I've got to do is I've got to uh, focus on pleasing God and not others. When I begin to focus on pleasing other people instead of pleasing God, it's real easy for me to be critical. Because when I'm pleasing other people, when people say something to me, when people hurt me, when people do something, then I want to take that out on somebody else. It's the old saying, hurting people hurt people. And so when somebody hurts me because I'm so focused on pleasing others rather than pleasing God, then I want to retaliate and go after somebody else, be critical of somebody else. You see, I want to be a person that is looking for the good rather than looking for the bad. I don't want to be a person that's speaking and calling out the wrong. I want to be somebody who's speaking and calling out the right. God looked at the world and saw that it was good. And when it turned bad, what did he do? He sent something that was good, Jesus Christ, to do what? Make it good again. That's what we're called to do as believers. To use our voice, to use our words, to speak life, truth, grace. So how do you respond to critical people? Sometimes you don't. Just let it go. In the words of the great theologian Elsa, let it go. Sometimes there's, there's some moments where you've got you to carefully respond. God, help me in this situation. Give me the right words. And at times, you've got to listen and make changes. There are people in your life that love you. And the only way we grow sometimes is through truth being spoken to us or over us. But all the time, guard your heart. May we not allow the pain that other, other people have caused us, the pain that other critics have caused us, to turn us into critical people. You've got to be able to speak truth to a spouse or to your kid or to your parent. You've got, you've got to be able to speak truth. You've got to discern when it's speaking truth with grace and love and because you care about that person and it's just being critical of them. You just have a critical spirit. When you and I live in, in this tension, when we fall more on the side of that grace and that truth and saying, God, I want to be a light. I want to call out the good. I want to call out what's right. And God can use us to draw others to himself. People look at our lives. They're like, man, I, I want to be like that person. Tell me more. God will use us to bring light into the midst of the darkness, to draw people to himself. May you and I not be critical people. May we be people led by the Spirit, speaking life and truth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and I thank you so much for this conversation. Because, God, there's all of us. We've all walked through criticism of other people. We all have people in our lives right now. Some of us are dreading Thanksgiving. Because we know we're going to be sitting in a house or at a table with somebody who's really critical. We're just tired of it. So God, help us to know when we need to just let it go, just not respond, rise above it. Help us to know, let us know if we need to respond carefully. We need to address the situation. Help us to know if we need to listen and make a change. If there's something this person's saying that is true that you're trying to get our attention on. 
But God, all the time, may we guard our hearts. May we be people of life, people of love and of grace and of truth. And God, we know this whole conversation really starts with us first realizing what you have said to us. That yet while we were still sinners, you, you could have reamed us, you could have said all the things about us, and yet what you did is you sent your son to die for us. So die, die on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. But you didn't stay dead, you rose from the dead three days later to show your power over death and over sin. And God, there are some of us who came into this place, or some of us who are watching online right now, that if we're being real honest, we'd say, man, Ernest, I... I, walking into this place, I felt spiritually disconnected. Maybe I accepted Christ a while ago, but I've been kind of doing it on my own, maybe because of the pain of others, the, the pain of our circumstance, whatever we've been walking through. Man, I'm just, I'm doing it by myself right now. Or maybe we've never given our lives to Christ. And God is saying, come home today. Just come home. You don't have to have it all figured out. You're still probably going to have some doubts and some questions, and that's Okay. As a church, we walk with you in all of that. If you'd say, man, Ernest, I, I feel spiritually disconnected right now. I want you to know God's saying, come home. He died for you so that you can be in a relationship with him. So if that's you, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you'd say, I came into this place feeling di spiritually disconnected. Man, I, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to recommit my life to Christ. I want to come home. I just want you to raise a hand. I wonder who I'm praying for. Father, thank you for these individuals. If you're watching online, you can simply text the word follow to the number on the screen. I want you to know that God sees you. God knows your name. He knows what you're walking through. And he loves you. He loves you deeply. And Father, I pray that you would speak that and show that to them right now. No matter what they're walking through, what they're dealing with, the guilt, the shame, the hurt, the pain, God, that you would show up. Speak your love into their life right now. And God, for all of us, I pray you would tell us what we're to do next. Tell us what we're to do with this conversation. How we're to respond to the criticism that we're going to receive even this week. We know that we kind of walk through trials as we hear them, as we talk about them. We know that we're going to experience it. Tell us what, to, what we're to do, how we're to respond. And may we be people that guard our hearts from criticism, from being the critical people. Instead, may we live by your spirit, shine your light in Jesus' name.